Hello everyone, my name is Joshua Gilliland, one of the founding attorneys of Legal Geeks. This podcast is sponsored by Unlock Stories. Uh, I wrote a chapter for this book. My chapter is about an app that allows people to send text messages with the dead. I had a lot of fun creating an obscure science fiction convention for a significant part of the story. And each chapter talks about different apps that people interact with and the characters go on different adventures. The book is available on Apple Books, Amazon, and Kindle, and highly recommend you check it out if, if you enjoy my blogging on The Legal Geeks. And with me is Gabby Martin, and we're going to nerd out about Crisis on an Infinite Earths. Uh, we'll dip into the comic. We'll talk about what the CW has done with their mega crossover that has been years in the making. I mean, technically, since the Flash began, we've been teasing crisis and mm -hmm. here we are so we're going to talk about it uh gabby how are you i am good i am i mean the the smallville cameo was everything i needed and and it just it puts such a wonderful close on that and and just oh it, it was such a good transition i mean you know smallville walked so that the arrowverse could run and and it, it really it really showed that. So I'm I'm very glad that we got that. Well, let's talk about some big issues, and then let's let's get into crisis. So, you grew up as a DC fan. Who's mm -hmm. your favorite DC character? Honestly, I am a huge Lois Lane fan. I grew up wanting to be Lois Lane. I thought Lois Lane was the coolest. Not 1978. Lois Lane, who was kind of ditzy, um, but hard-hitting journalist Lois Lane. That was my dream job, was to work at the Daily Planet. So that, yeah. And, and obviously Superman and, and all of that. But, but Lois Lane is, is the unsung hero, I think, of the Superman universe. Yeah, and there, yes, and there are different interpretations of her. And uh, now granted, I, I was four when the 1978 Superman came out. So mm -hmm. I remember seeing that. I remember yeah. being ex very excited for Superman 2 as a, as a child. And yeah, I, I do love that version because, and, and love Christopher Reeve's Superman just because childhood connection. And it arguably was the first successful comic book movie in the modern era and we wouldn't be here today without Superman 1978. So yeah. I, I do have a strong feeling. Yeah. yeah. No, I love, I love Margaret Kidder and she's great, but um, yeah, I just, there's, there's a lot about Lois Lane in the 1978 version and, and Superman, more Superman to the, the theatrical cut as opposed to the Richard Donner cut. But um yeah, there's there's just a lot that they do with her, then especially her dialogue is is just questionable at times for somebody who's supposed to be a, 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 a an award winning journalist. It's very very concerning, but it's it's a product of its time. So um, so yeah, it's it's been interesting to see the evolution of of Lois and you know Lois in the animated series and all of that kind of stuff that that was Lois in the animated series was my first introduction to that character and then you know getting to see the 78 cut and then um smallville obviously and and 
going back through her her journey and evolution. So what about you? What's your favorite DC character? Well, I tend to side with Green Lantern. And sure, it was a horrible movie uh, that that did need a rewrite that that could have saved it. But I do like uh, the core. I've always enjoyed Hal Jordan because of, you know, the, the fighter pilot. I, again, I learned to fly before I could drive. So again, there's like that. Uh, I also always enjoyed the space characters, but I do have a strong affinity for Superman and uh, the Flash. And, and we'll talk about that as we get into Crisis mm -hmm. and how those, the different versions of those characters appear in both the TV shows and the comics because they are iconic. DC does have some very long lasting iconic characters and we'll talk about how they honor them. So. And a lot of, and I think, I think what cross well, what crisis does very, very well um, that we really haven't seen in any sort of other form is, is really, um, you know, beat after beat it's really acknowledging where this comic book history has come from and, and comic book history on film and on television, where it's come from. I mean, the amount of cameos that you have, it, it's just, it's very respectful and it's very deferential, I think. And, and it was very amazing to see, you know, all of these kinds of bits and pieces of, of um, the DC universe adaptations from across the years i mean even from from the adam west batman you know that that you had all of that kind of packed into into one um t tv series was was super cool i part of me really hoped for uh, a george reeve cameo somehow of like archival footage of black and white because <laughs> that would have just been like the chef kiss of, yeah. of pure gold of like well done uh yeah. but who knows? We got two episodes left. Maybe yeah. they'll pull off that hat trick because uh, I I give them a lot of credit. For I mean, they they pulled the Lucifer they pulled the Lucifer crossover out of like nobody saw that one coming. So so you know we got two episodes. We who knows? We'll see. And Titans, we got a Titans crossover. So you know any anything is possible. Well, that in Batman eighty nine. So mm -hmm. and. And again, one of the things that they're doing very well is the different musical homages, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the classic Batman, mm -hmm. uh, 89 movie uh, music, or, you know, the John Williams Superman themes when we see, uh, you know, Superman 96, which is really Superman 78. But yeah. uh, <laughs> so just seeing that, it's like, they know how to pull on our heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And, and even with homages to uh, the 1990 Flash TV show, yeah. which I fondly remember watching going like, wow, they pulled it off. Now we can talk about why the show wasn't successful because of the original comic book crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because Barry, they made a TV show about a dead character. And <laughs> so there's no ongoing comic that has Barry Allen alive because at that point in time, the comic was with Wally West as the Flash. Mm. And so again, we have all of those weird, weird issues, but that I think that did a number on the show. Plus it was probably super expensive to make at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but they, it, this is just a magnificent love letter to 
every DC fan and every DC TV show that they've been able to do, maybe with the exception of the Wonder Woman show, but maybe we'll see something. That, like, I mean, Linda Carter has, has come on Supergirl, so mm-hmm. I'm not putting anything anything past them. I mean, you know, Smallville did that a lot, but in, in small, um, you know, doses, you obviously had Christopher Reeve guest star, you had Margaret Kidder, you had uh, Linda Carter. Um, but this is, is really, like you said, it's a love letter to all the, the uh, visual adaptations of um, the comics. And I, I, I think I, I can't wait to see who we get and maybe that's how they hook people in with this this um almost month gap that we had between the between the episodes so they're like get on board for the you know the even bigger and better cameos that are going to come in the last two episodes so we'll see we'll see and and that can tie into our comic discussion on mm-hmm. how they are are pulling in what happened in the comic because to be fair in the Crisis comic book, you know, came out in 1985. It was part of the 50th anniversary for DC. And because of DC's writing style, everything was just fragmented. So this, you know, it's like, we'll just call it the multiverse. <laughs> and, and that explains how we have things all over the place. Yeah. And, and so they, for their 50th, they went like, okay, let's, let's clean this up because <laughs> this is a mess. And they, they made the right call. And Marv Wolfman, who's going to be at San Diego Comic Fest, and I, I will bring something for him to autograph, and I can't wait to hear him speak, uh, did a brilliant job with, with the comic, with the scope of it. They had the full DC roster of 50 years worth of characters that they could pull from. So there are uh, elements of the story that like they just can't do on TV because those characters weren't introduced. And, and the biggest is the Green Lantern Corps. You know, mm-hmm. they, the multiverse existed in the DC comics because of Oa, which is the planet where the Green Lantern Corps is based. And again, short version of the history, the multiverse was created by a scientist on Oa named uh, Corona who did this experiment looking back into time uh, for the creation element and seeing this giant hand. And that experiment ended up causing this big explosion, which thus made the multiverse. So it went from one universe to a multiple, multiple, multiple universes. Uh, Owa did not have a sister planet in any of the parallel Earths or parallel universes, pardon me. But they did have the sister planet in the antimatter universe, which was uh, Q-Ward. And that's where the Anti-Monitor is based. None of that's happening in this TV series because one, we don't have the Green Lantern half of this. Mm-hmm. Flash has teased it. You know, they, they tease going to Ferris uh, uh, aircraft and like using a Ferris hangar and making reference of their, one of their test pilots disappearing. Uh, mm-hmm. So like that was a total Green uh, uh, Lantern reference. It's like, I appreciate that. But and wasn't in wasn't in the last crossover, um, Earth '90s Flash made reference to um, John Diggle yeah. looking like John Stewart. Yes. Um, and so that was another. Yeah, that they, they. I feel like they're dancing around it, and they're <laughs> they're never gonna pull the trigger and give us. I mean, you know, the full 
Green Lantern Corps. They're just dropping little hints here and there. Yeah, and again, like the idea with you know John Stewart versus John Dingle, it's uh, like they could they could play with like he took a stepfather name or something along mm -hmm. those lines that uh, there was a Stewart in his family, but for some reason he didn't get the last name Stewart because uh, there is the reference about you don't have your ring, which is yeah. like again every fanboy and fangirl are you know <laughs> flailing realizing the reference because he is such an important character mm -hmm. and but they do that so again sweet love letter you know it's like getting a valentine weekly from these guys and uh, <laughs> like i appreciate what they're doing here well let's talk about some of the, the legal issues so we're not just you know glowing about nerddom <laughs> uh, but but this this series picks uh, uh, kicks off with Supergirl and the antimatter wave going to Earth thirty eight, and they evacuate probably a little bit more than half of Earth thirty eight, and so that's three billion people. Uh, well, okay, if their population is six billion, okay, it's half. If it's seven billion, it's less than half, and they end up on Earth one. So a couple of things with that. You could literally have doppelgangers arriving as refugees. Yeah. And that gets super weird fast. So let's talk, and plus, Earth One doesn't have an alien population hanging out, like the way Earth 38 turned into a haven for immigrants from other planets coming in and nativist senators wanting to build a dome over the over the country you know uh not political at all uh <laughs> not relevant nope no that <laughs> crazy talk pure sci-fi stop saying that superman slash supergirl is not relevant in 2020 please stop saying that <laughs> Yes, Siegel and Schuster are both spitting in their graves. Yes, but, uh, yes, they are. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Uh, but we have three billion people, humans and aliens, multiple aliens, as in different species, arriving on Earth and going like, hi, we need a place to stay. <laughs> so taking the population of Earth One, which could be about 7 billion to 10 billion. And you could have repeat people of like, oh. uh, back, or you might have people who are dead in one place, but alive in the other now. So that gets very weird very quickly. Well, let's get into the issue of how could people from Earth 38 seek asylum on Earth One? Do you want to take the first stab at this? Yeah, so... So basically, when when you were talking about all these these ships from Earth thirty eight arriving on Earth one, um, would you tend to call that a caravan of us people seeking asylum from Earth thirty eight? Um, no, so so they do show up, and and clearly the biggest thing that that you need when um, seeking asylum, and and this is you know any immigration attorney um, worth their salt will tell you this is the biggest hurdle to get over is the well-founded fear of persecution. And it's so difficult. It, it's literally one of the highest legal bars you can clear. 
um, because you really need to document that the persecution is against you specifically, not just, you can't say, oh, well, like the conditions in my country are bad. Like you have to prove that if you went back, you would be executed on site, that you would die. Like this is, that you have to demonstrate the truly life or death situation that you are in, in order to be granted asylum. And I think, um, you know, with the, the antimatter wave destroying whole planets, um, what these, these asylees are basically going to say is, I don't have a, I don't have an earth to return to, right? I, I am, I have nowhere to return to. I, my entire population, my entire, um, earth was wiped out by a planetary genocide. Um, and that's why I'm seeking asylum. And, and you tend to see in cases of genocide, that's where it gets a little easier to clear the uh, well-founded persecution uh, hurdle because, you know, like the Rwandan genocide and, and, and things like that, that and, and what's happening in, in the Congo, that it's easier to prove that, that people are dying en masse by execution um, and, you know, very regimented kind of execution um, as opposed to just dangerous conditions. So I think hopefully they they would be granted asylum. I mean, you do obviously now have the issue of, of doppelgangers and um, and people looking like other people and, you know, so-and-so seeing their dead husband or whatever um, suddenly pop back up. But my thinking is, is that if, if Harrison Wells can hop onto, onto um, Barry Allen's earth in whatever multiple forms he takes, you know, now he's in as pariah. Um, you know, we've seen him as HR, we've seen him as, as all these kinds of things, the reverse flash. Um, so I think if he can, you know, hop in and out as a, as a doppelganger without having any issues, I think these people are pretty okay. Because nobody's ever said like, oh, this guy is like, this dead Harrison Wells, like nobody's ever questioned that in the flash and whether that's, you know, a very giant gaping plot hole um, or just the people of Central City are, you know, not very aware of things. Um, but hopefully that kind of mentality would carry over to, to Earth One. Yeah, let, let's talk about that in just a second. So there's the other part of this that you know, you have the unforeseen emergency. Earth 38 is gone. I'm like, it's gone, void, not there anymore. So that does qualify as a reason to grant asylum. Uh, where it gets weird is, you know, like if you have whoever is now the president of the United States going like, hey, we're here. And this looks exactly like our country, but different, but the same. And... <laughs> You know, like that, that also gets weird. Uh, you also get into the issue of like DC created fake cities. And you kind of wonder like, so where are those supposed to be? So like, would it's like, you know, Metropolis looks like New York, you know, and Gotham kind of like Chicago or is it Philadelphia? So like you yeah, have I those. Gotham was New York, and that Metropolis was like Topeka and Kansas. It could be, you know. It, it 
again, it depends like <laughs> what version you're looking at. Because I mean, Gotham being in New York in the 1970s, yeah, uh, it absolutely, you know, or or you know, the Dinkin era in New York when it was like really scary, absolutely. So, uh, so there's always that half of it, uh, but you then get people showing up, and it's like, does their ATM cards work? Like, are the like the because that that raises identity theft uh, and like in false impersonation pretty significantly, and and there is a difference be, between the two of those, whether or not you're uh, impersonating someone or you're using their information. And like if you were accessing your doppelganger's bank account, well, it's like we ha now have a new level of crime taking place, uh, or if they because it's not like they showed up with gold bullion, you know, from Earth 38 in order to land. Uh, <laughs> then there's the issue of like, just where do you put everyone? Yeah. It's, it's like, you can't just go terraform desert. And it's like, well, because we, the United States does have a lot of empty space, like places that just aren't habitable. Could they make parts habitable? And like, we make okay we'll call this place metropolis or whatever you know that that uh you know let's go terraform parts of rural nevada that's just empty desert or arizona or i don't know chunks of utah and and go like okay we're gonna make this nice big resort in uh, wyoming that was inaccessible and unlivable but here we are uh, so again, interesting questions there. Uh, but the I, think, I think another thing that that may come into play because we see this kind of um, uh, exodus or you know evacuation taking place um, that's quite frantic, and and it's it's kind of unclear how long this ex this this evacuation seems to take because. Um, you know, we only see the one that's happening um, in National City, but there's uh, theoretically, <laughs> hopefully, um, and I think they do mention it, that, that it's happening across the world because obviously it's the entire earth that's being destroyed. Um, so it, my concern is, is and this, is, this would be a concern for, for an immigration lawyer that, you know, if that was the first place they went to when they arrived in Earth One, um, is because there's a difference of, of arriving in a country um, with papers and without papers. And so if you enter um, with papers um, or via some traditional route, um, you entered with an inspection. So this opens an entirely different avenue of possibilities to you um, than if you entered um, without inspection or EWI. Um, if you enter EWI, you're, you know, you enter either without papers or without inspection, you don't enter a traditional route, which technically, you know, we can imagine that the, these ships aren't kind of landing, you know, in a traditional port and, you know, going through the process. Did they bring their interplanetary visa slash ID slash, you know, all of that kind of identification? Because that's another thing that immigrants face is that, um, when you're coming up, um, you know, 
kind of through um, the Central American countries, your papers tend to get stolen from you. And so it's a matter of proving your identity. And, and if you're, you don't have documents, you can't enter without inspection. And a lot of traditional routes are specifically closed to you because you didn't have that initial um, inspection so by a customs officer. So that would be another thing to consider is how are they landing on Earth One? And I do believe Earth One ultimately gets destroyed at the end of, of the three-part series because I think all we're left with at, um, at the cliffhanger is um, the seven paragons. <laughs> So it may be kind of a moot point to begin with. <laughs> Maybe it depends how much of the comic they're following and yeah. we'll talk about that in a second. The, oh God, so much to unpack there. So uh, Luthor, uh, sister, you know, after the weird exchange with, uh, again, like the, the dramatic exchange with, oh, you didn't trust me, all, all that, you know, we'll just call it CW drama that's there for the sake of drama. Uh, <laughs> The portal that they had that they used for like the Daxamite uh, evacuation uh, or incident uh, was looked like out in the desert someplace. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's someplace in California since National City is kind of like LA. So mm -hmm. inland California, middle of the desert. Well, if they pop out on Earth One outside of LA, you know. Hopefully there was a little alarm beforehand so no one would freak out because, well, <laughs> well, Earth One did, you know, they did put the invasion storyline in Earth One. And so, you know, and the president was killed by aliens. So I don't know if they covered up an alien invasion and with how the president got blowed up. But, you know, like you tend to, it, you're not going to miss that yeah. unless they decide we're going to cover up the existence of alien life. And we'll figure out some other way to say like, oh, the president had a heart attack. He didn't get vaporized. He had a fiery heart attack. <laughs> yeah, big, big fiery heart attack. It was a blender accident. Yeah, it's but like- But it's an inter um, spontaneous combustion, <laughs> which I thought was going to be much more of an issue in my adult life than it ended up being. Yeah, it's like, how do you, how do you explain that to the American people? So, um, the superheroes screwed up. The president got kidnapped and uh, then then killed. And now we have our first female president. Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, at least Fla Fla Barry Allen made the comment about normally the president calling would be cool, but <laughs> we just looked down sad. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so they're at least bummed out. But still, so at least this world knows of aliens because... An alien or refugee caravan showing up outside of LA <laughs> full of doppelgangers and aliens would freak people out if there's never been first contact, mm -hmm. let alone the doppelganger issue of like, oh, there's now two of me. Or how'd you end up taller and cooler? Like crap like that <laughs> that could happen with... Oh, you were successful? Oh, oh wow. Um, now you're like dead and we haven't seen you yeah. in five and a half years. <laughs> yeah. All of that can go get super weird and complicated. Uh, and it's like responding legally, like trying to use the current system that we have, it's not designed for it. 
So, because again, we're not used to exact doppelgangers showing up that are the same down to the cellular level. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't happen. Like you, we don't have magic twins. So lots of weird issues that could come up. Um, and we'll talk about, I do think Earth One is okay, but we'll get into that. Um, because that would mean all of the universes were destroyed and there's nothing left uh, in the antimatter, antimonitor one. So, but that's a comic. Uh, let's talk about the beginning of the story uh, where we have Harbringer uh, recruiting uh, is the generous term, heroes to, to help. <laughs> uh, some might call it kidnapping. And uh, why, don't, why don't you address yeah. this? Is it, is it uh, aggressive recruiting uh, or is it kidnapping? I think it's, it's I mean, the, the thing you would have to look at is, is who goes with her willingly. So, you know, we start, we see her journey start with, with um, a recap of, of the scene from um, the last Arrow episode where um, Oliver and Mia are talking on Lian Yu and, and she appears. And, and they kind of seem to go willingly. I don't know how willingly Oliver would have allowed Mia to go because he seemed very insistent that she wasn't part of any sort of crisis. So that may have a bit of, of, of you know, um, taking against the will. Um, and then we see her, her come to Barry Allen. Um, Barry obviously is like, okay, it's time. Let's go. You know, he's clearly recruited. Like he knows this is happening. You know, he just jumps on board. Um, and then I believe that the next one you see is, um, um, shoot, uh, uh, Kate, Kate Kane. And she seems to be kidnapped because I mean, she could handle herself, but before she gets to um, kind of make any sort of objection, um, Harbinger is just like, nope, we're, we're leaving, we're out of here. So she, she is uh, kind of restrained, at least initially um, against uh, her will. And she's taken um, to Earth 38 against her will. Um, and then we see um, Harbinger come upon the legends and that one it doesn't we don't see how much of an objection there is there um, all we see is is the kind of the quippy you know oh Lila what's with the costume you know and and then they obviously go to Earth 38 and so the one that we don't see kind of taken is is Superman um, is Clark and Lois um, but obviously they were escaping death. So, you know, I, I don't think they would object much to somebody saying, okay, like you can either die here or you can come with me and live. You know, I, I don't think that's much. So I think really the, the one person that would truly, I think, be kidnapped would be um, under the common law definition would be Kate. I mean, she's, she's really taken there. She objects the minute they arrived there that, you know, she was in the middle of an interrogation and she wasn't, she didn't want to be there. Um, so, and she's taken, it's funny because she, they're not just taken somewhere else, like to a different location. They're taken to a whole other earth. So, <laughs> you know, they're, they're forcibly removed from their earth to another earth. 
Um, but yeah, Kate is, Kate is definitely kidnapped there. Yeah, it's a, that, that's a rough day for her. And yeah, um, yeah I, I do adore the actress. Mm -hmm. I, I like seeing her without the mask so we can actually see her remote. So I'm glad that they have her take off the, the cowl and wig so we can actually you know, like get eye contact and her cool haircut. Yeah, uh, but it cracks me up though because she, she, she goes in and out of her her accent throughout the the episodes, <laughs> and it's so distracting. So I'm like, wait, wait, Kate, Kate Kane is not Australian. What? What? This is confusing. <laughs> yeah, that that's also the director's fault because the director should be catching that and going yeah. like, whoops. Um, like, let's do another take. Yeah. Pump the brakes. Uh, let's do that again. Uh, they, they should have had enough time to watch for that stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, aggressive recruiting. Uh, now, I mean, again, not unlike the first order's tactics. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it does. Like, the Argo City, you know, bothered me because it's like really they had spaceships. How did? Yeah. You know, and how did it sneak up on them? Like that, that irritated me just because they wanted to like show the, you know, launching the child Jonathan out yeah. and um, which raises one of the other differences in, in the comic earth three was a supervillain planet and Lex Luthor was the hero on that planet and ultra uh superman was ultraman and green lantern was power ring and batman was like the uh, owl man i i think um <laughs> and so like they're all different spins on them and luther mm -hmm. is the one hero and he married lois lane and their child's alexander luther who's an infant and he has a a rocket pod that that is able to escape dimensions that they launch Alexander out of. And Alexander is mission critical to what happens in the Crisis comic book. Mm -hmm. We don't have him here. And I, I was curious if they were gonna try playing with Jonathan in that degree, but they're not, uh, at least uh, because there was rapid aging and you know he, he turned into like a 18 year old pretty quickly. So that's not happening here. He's stayed an infant. So they they needed that escape, and um, I just they had spaceships, and they weren't asleep at the wheel. They would have seen an antimatter wave more than like four minutes beforehand. So I mean, that was very like hippie cult like. So maybe they <laughs> they had forgotten all technology there, and were just like, nope, whatever happens happens. We just chill here. It's like yeah. really. Really? On your little planetoid of groupiness? I was like, okay, Kryptonians, like, way to go from super high-tech society to, like, let's live like hippies. It's like, and you survived the planet blowing up because of science, but yeah. yeah. But, like, that, let's turn to, to a non-scientific lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and you think you would be a little ramped up after that because you're going to pay attention to things. It's like you're keeping an eye on the environment because you're on a chunk of a planet. 
at that's a, a functional city-state floating through space. So maybe you'd want to make sure it stays safe. But I, 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 I again, that 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 was something that bothered me. But I, <laughs> but it made sense that you can't bump off Superman, uh, who's also going to get a spin-off series. Yeah. So then we get Priya, and you know I have mixed feelings on this version of Priya. You know the the comic version, he was a tad whiny, but he'd also had severe PTSD because for God knows how long uh, he had been watching um, Earth upon Earth get destroyed. So mm -hmm. you know his sanity is like compromised because he's just seen nothing but death for you know potentially years, and it, it's taken a toll on him of just getting pulled through you know, multiverse to multiverse to watch people die. And that that's eating him alive. This version, he's more together. He's still super guilty about like, hey, I accidentally woke up the anti-monitor, my bad. <laughs> uh, uh, but he, the whininess is not there. So that is refreshing. Uh, but we do have the issue with black lightning because mm -hmm. Uh, again, this this is also one of the differences. Earth One ends up being the last Earth standing while they're debating about how to deal with the Anti-Monitor's canon. And like the five other Earths get wiped out uh, while they're debating. Yeah. <laughs> like, quit talking. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like time is of the essence, but it's not of the essence, but it is, but it's not. It's like <laughs> you, you, five universes died while you were talking about your feelings. <laughs> Dude, uh, suck it up. Uh, talk about, I mean, granted, good thing there are no survivors to sue you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, live with that, Barry. Uh, digress. But uh, Jefferson shows, you know, is uh, saved by Pariah. <clears throat> and, Aggressively and that, saved. Yeah, aggressively saved and uh, family <laughs> dies and uh, he's, he's understandably upset and uh, but holds it together and it does have, I like his exchanges with Barry Allen. I, I do, mm -hmm. uh, they had, the actors have nice chemistry and it just, like, that was good to see. But let's talk about the duty the of rescue. Saving. Yeah, aggressive rescue. <laughs> the aggressive rescue. Yeah, so... So much like Kate Kane, I mean, we don't see the circumstances from which Jefferson is is plucked, but um, per, he he definitely seems to be there against his will. I mean, he he seems very confused and very, um, you know, kind of disoriented, and and so Pariah clearly just kind of yanked him, and he's like, "Well, let's go." He you really don't have a choice in the matter, so he is unlawfully restrained and unlawfully moved um, to this you know, where the antimatter canon is. Um, and the other thing that Pariah is on the hook for, if Jefferson so wanted to go after him, um, is a failure to rescue his family, because that's, that's Jefferson's first objection, is he says, you know, because, because Pariah says the earth is, his earth is destroyed, and he says, you know, well, what about my, my wife, my kids? Um, and he says they perish too. And, and so Pariah had a duty to rescue he could be liable for failing to rescue them because um, there's, and we've talked about this before on other podcasts, there's 
there's a very narrow window where a duty to rescue arises. Obviously, there's moral duty to rescue, but when a legal duty to rescue arises, it's very, you know, limited circumstances. You know, if you have a special relationship, i.e. parent-child, spouses, etc. But here you have the situation where Pariah, arguably, and if Jefferson gets a good, good attorney, an attorney can, can demonstrate that Pariah created this hazard, right? He created the hazardous situation. Granted, he didn't set up the anti-monitor cannon. He didn't start the whole thing. But he, as, as, as you mentioned, Josh, his guilt is that he released the anti-monitor in the first place, right? That's, that's his thing. That's, that, if, but for him, but for Pariah, HR, whatever his name is, releasing the anti-monitor, this would have never happened, right? So there, without him doing that, Jefferson's family and his earth would not have perished. So, um, and he failed, he created the hazard and then he failed to rescue them. So I, I definitely think Jefferson has a case for um, kind of pursuing action against Pariah once the dust is settled because he immediately jumps into action. He doesn't sit there wasting time. <laughs> um, you know, he could, he could go after him for, for um, recovery. Yeah, I, I don't agree with Pariah created the situation with the anti-monitor because the anti-monitor still is uh, you know, the, the factor and going like, hey, I'm going to declare war on all life and destroy everything. So I, I think that that limits liability because he, uh, Priya can't control the anti-monitor. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in the comic, that's part of Priya's guilt and like his full-on PTSD, nervous breakdown, like status that he has throughout most of the series until he finds out that the anti-monitor was using him. And, and so like that changed, he, so he went, oh, it's not all my fault. I still feel bad, but like, they're not all dead because of me. Yeah. And uh, there was another character that he saved on another earth and, and she heard that too. And she went like, oh, I shouldn't just be angry at him. So like there was a little, um, uh, you know, that gets reflective uh, as well. But I don't know if we'll see that in, in this because, you know, the comic was, you know, 12 issues long and all the crossovers that then happened in all the different books, uh, you know, it, it's like it took place over a year. This is five episodes. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's only so much that they can do in the amount of time that they have. So they, they got to cherry pick, you know, the, the issues. But we'll see uh we'll see what they do uh again they we know that these folks are really good at fan service oh let me rephrase that meaningful fan service mm -hmm. not just tossing in hey remember this yeah. <laughs> no sparkle remember this um yeah so but now it's now it's okay so um well so let's talk kidnapping <laughs> there's a lot of kidnapping in this episode yeah, and um, so the other thing to, to get into um, is Flash, the original, well, the 1990 Flash from Earth 90. And I know the comic, you know, as, as I mentioned before, kills Barry Allen. And uh, his death in the comic is powerful uh, because he's one of the uh, 
biggest casualties and um, he dies alone. And so like no one initially knows the sacrifice on how, you know, he takes out the anti-monitor cannon because he's been kidnapped by the anti-monitor and it's, it's painful. Uh, he starts appearing throughout time. And so you have like Batman's fighting the Joker and Barry, uh, you know, appears and, and, and he appears to other characters like at different points in time. And all these folks are trying to figure out where are you? They like, they want to go save him. And the way he basically deteriorates and dies, um, such a gut punch and, and so well done that I remember reading it as a kid and like feeling a lot. Uh, and that's a high bar to go like, okay, we're going to bring this to TV mm -hmm. with the first actor that played the flash and we got to make this good go. And so let, let's talk about that with monitor versus anti-monitor and who did kidnapping and because i mean the monitor is kind of shady in this but the anti-monitors the guy actually yeah. using him as slave labor so take it away gabby yeah so um yeah he he obviously this is is probably the most uh textbook case of kidnapping you know we can kind of go back and forth on on how willingly the other heroes um kind of go into um, the request of of Harbinger and um, Pariah, but but the Anti Monitor clearly kidnaps the Flash. Um, he forces him into to forced labor. And um, code, here, what's relevant is is 18 U.S. Code 1589, which says which outlaws um, um, unlawful uh, forced labor. And so it says whoever knowingly provides or obtains the labor or services of a person by any one of the following means, including force, threats of serious harm, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the person, in addition to any sort of kidnapping charges the person may face, um, the person shall also be uh, fined and imprisoned for up to 20 years under this particular code section. So he's definitely forcing him in, into, into a forced labor situation because he's, he's obtaining the labor of Earth-90 Flash to power this um, antimatter cannon. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it results in, in Earth-90's death. And, and that um, can, would, in a sense, under this code, because it says, the code goes on to say that if death results from the violation, i.e. the forced labor, um, the defendant can face up to life in prison. Um, so, you know, th this is truly, I think, a very textbook case of forced labor, of him kidnapping him, him putting him on this, tre uh, this treadmill, for lack of a better word, um, and forcing him to run to operate the cannon. Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings. So in the comic, the cannon that he has to run around, it's circular. Mm -hmm. And that's a better visual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's just, very it's, treadmill looking. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, it's like it's it's a treadmill, and so it's just like ah. But the way they they have Flash ninety die mm-hmm. is uh good. I'm like it's it's a nice send off for that character. You know, he the way he winks. You know, yeah. at Barry on on the way to to go save the day. I mean, it's it's a good hero's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not. I mean, like, well, the actual death is alone, but people know it's happening, and yeah. they know he's making the uh, sacrifice. And it, it is a good rallying point, and they do show footage from the from the 1990 series. So, like, again, it's it's a nice love letter. Uh, they did the best they could with the budget that they have. Uh, the canon looked great. Yeah, uh, I would have preferred. You know, again, it's it's a different looking canon in the comics. It's because they weren't confined by any budget. So it's like George Perez, go for it, buddy. And yeah. boy, did he! Uh, uh, but again, we we do get the hero's hero's death, yeah. and um, and uh, I, I think it has the emotional impact too because you know, what's, what's tied in this is, as you're seeing it, you know, as, I mean, not, he's not just Earth 90 Flash, as, you know, fans of, who are just new to Flash coming into the, the CW series, you know, this is Barry Allen's dad, this is his doppelganger, his dad's mm-hmm. doppelganger, that, like, who, you know, his mother died, and then his father is wrongfully accused, and so, you know, he's had to say goodbye to his father, multiple times in multiple versions <laughs> yeah like which al- always <laughs> leads always leads to a grant gustin ugly cry um that he is definitely very good at that about crying very emotionally on screen um but but yeah and so so it's you feel that from from barry's perspective that this is he's having to say goodbye because earth 90 flash was a mentor to him you know mm-hmm. He not just looked like his father, he was a mentor to him. And so he's having to say goodbye to his father yet again. Um, and so I, I like the twist, though, that, you know, um, like you said before, we've been building up to crisis since the start of the Flash series. And Flash was supposed to disappear slash die in crisis. And the twist here is they never said which one. Right. They never said, I mean, obviously, though, it's it's the picture of Barry Allen on the cover of, of the paper. So I don't know how they're, they're going to explain that one. But maybe they're just like, oh, everybody forget about that paper that you saw for like several episodes that we kept bringing back up again. Um, we're, we're just going to change it around at the last second. But but I thought that was that was a good twist as well. But they don't have the paper from the next day. Flash returned. And... <laughs> everything's okay now just kidding (laughs) that was a close one batman yeah like that other ways that they could totally play that so yeah yeah. uh pivoting to the supervillain and you know so we have uh lex luthor from earth 38 who the monitor saves from death and uh I, I hadn't. I, I stopped watching Supergirl like mid-season last year just because it. I, I was getting a little annoyed with it, mm-hmm. and um, of how it, uh, like how they the, the the basically I think appealing to a younger audience was just like okay this isn't for me, I can't yeah. take this anymore, 
Uh, and I, I like Bruce Broxlin linear. I like wanted to see him as the bad president, but yeah. I just I couldn't. <laughs> so I just <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, but we have this Lex who decides to go on a murder spree with the Book of Destiny, hopping <laughs> through universes. And there's there's so many issues with that of who has jurisdiction for prosecuting him for all the men of tomorrow he's murdered yeah and on one level i would just just to knock it out uh quickly you know the the universe where the crime happened i mean like prosecute him there and maybe we'll prosecute him multiple times now that gets to the issue of is the book of destiny a dangerous weapon and like yeah clearly you know a screwdriver can be a dangerous weapon it all depends how you use the tool if you use the screwdriver to stab someone, it's now a dangerous weapon. If you use the Book of Destiny to start bumping off Superman left and right, yeah, it's a dangerous weapon. Yeah. Now, let's get into uh, Earth 666 with... Uh, <laughs> uh, again, a literal the, deal with the devil. Yeah, literal deal with the devil. And again, <laughs> like the chemistry between you know Constantine and Lucifer was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's just seeing an actor leaning in and having fun of, okay, it's like, I, I have two women hanging on me and now I'm going to, you know, flirt with, you know, Oliver Queen's daughter to get her to say what, what, you know, she desires the most. It's like, okay, you, you take this creepy, sexy thing to a whole new level, uh, but they enter a contract with the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of states, not not all, but a lot of states have a duty of good faith and fair dealing implied in contracts, mm-hmm. and which means like you, you, know, you can't be a schmuck. <laughs> is is, <laughs> and, and you get into the issue with the devil that his card is fading fast, and mm-hmm. the issue is like, does that violate, uh, you know, the the duty of good faith and fair dealing? What are your thoughts? Ah, oh, that that's hard because I mean, you know, you're obviously making a deal with the devil, so you shouldn't, you know, kind of um, necessarily expect the same kind of contract rules and and um, duties to apply. Um, but at the same time, he he does kind of withhold the fact he doesn't specify. He says it's going to fade, but he doesn't explain how fast it's going to fade. Um, and so, you know, he, he's, he's does kind of hold back that element of it, um, of the contract, but, um, you know, I think to me, that's kind of made moot by the fact that they do find Oliver in a timely fashion, you know, obviously they have to kind of like wrestle him back to his wits, if you will. Um, but they do find him in a timely fashion. So, so I, I tend to think if, you know, if Spectre hadn't shown up that, you know, the point would have made moot because he was going to go with them in a timely fashion before the card expired before Spectre showed up. So, and obviously the devil could not have foreseen Spectre showing up, or maybe he could have, but, you know, he couldn't have anticipated that theoretically, um, so he, the, the performance of the contract happened 
in a timely fashion, albeit quickly, but, you know, they weren't kind of um, made un, un, unequal um, or kind of impaired by, by that withholding of fact. Indeed, indeed. Well, now we have the issue with um, partnership. So the monitor you know, puts together the A-team to go save the day. <laughs> and uh, there, there's a lot there with, you know, getting a, uh, one, you know, one of the legends, you know, ships and, you know, the team together. They're not operating on the monitor satellite, which was huge in the comics. Again, that would be another set. So they're using the tools that they have with just using. Kid, you know, <laughs> let's just use the Wave Rider and everything's okay. So we don't need something else. Yeah. Uh, uh, but does he actually form a valid partnership agreement, you know, with the heroes? And I would say yes. I mean, like they're all in common cause to go save the multiverse. So yeah, there's a partnership yeah. agreement there you know, common law version of it, which then raises the issue of like, you have to act in good faith to your partners because you have a fiduciary duty and you have him withholding material facts, like saying what Lex Luthor is going to go do or, you know, like, hey, go see the twisted meme Bruce Wayne, who's not the cuddly, nice uncle Bruce, but, you know, the schmuck. And you know, like, I, I would say that while the Monitor has a plan, uh, the, he's, the, the comic book Monitor was much better at treating people. Uh, <laughs> sure, there were some folks, it's like, oh, Blue Beetle's not needed anymore. He can be sent back, you know, and Ted's wondering, like, what just happened? Why am I back home? Uh, versus the way he, you know, like, lets Lex Luthor run around killing Superman across the multiverse or any of the other actions that are taking place with, you know, feeding uh, Kate and, and Kara to evil Bruce to go <laughs> have something emotionally traumatic. It's like, hey, you know your cousin that you love who's a really good guy and, and you know, you love seeing him? This version of him is a schmuck. Well, and I think I think that to me is is a better example of some sort of violation of good faith and fair dealings um, than the, the deal with the devil because, um, you know, he, he says, oh, the, the, the paragon of, what is it, courage, um, you know, is, you know, whatever his, his riddle is. And it's not until they come back and he's like, oh yeah, that was a test to make Kate the, the paragon of courage. Like, so he withheld, you know, he knew that by saying what he said, that they were going to assume that it was, um, you know, that it was Bruce, that that was the paragon. And that's what they needed to go get him and to convince him. And so I think he was definitely not acting in good faith um, when he gave them that riddle, because he, it was obvious what they, what the other parties um, understanding of the of the of the task was, and he manipulated that to his advantage to um, make Kate the paragon of courage or whatever she is. Um, so. 
I don't think she needed to jump through those hoops. I think she knew it all along of like, I'm not afraid to stand up to people. Why did you just, why were you a schmuck uh, yeah. in this situation? Because now I don't trust you. Yeah. And we're supposed to be trusting because we are supposed to save the multiverse. Uh, which is why, like, I really didn't like the Lex Luthor arc of him running around bumping off Superman. It's like, this serves no purpose. This is just to give that actor something to do. I'm sorry, and, I don't like John Cryer as Lex Luthor. I, just, I think it's terrible. <laughs> I, I didn't have a problem with, with the actor as Lex. I just had a problem with that as a story element. It's like, yeah. this is dumb. Yeah. Uh, I was not on board nor what happens at the end because uh a couple things can happen but still i just i didn't you know i didn't like lex trying to you know block the superman that we actually want to see so like that's the um issue which then raises the issue and i think we can knock this out quickly of um you know, did the monitor cause intentional infliction of emotional distress, sending Supergirl and Batwoman to Earth-99 to... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kate had to fight them, like, one-on-one. Not cool. And uh, Kara going through his trophies and going, like, so you, you killed Clark here? Like, here are his bloody glass. Screw you, old man. Like, we're out of here. Yeah. Uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress. And, like, he not negligent because he knowingly did it yeah so. yeah and i i think i think what was was tough for for Kara was not just that um you know she saw that clark had been murdered but in in her earth he, uh, bruce wayne and 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 clark are are allies they're friends so to to that kind of betrayal he was definitely you know yeah his conduct was extreme and outrageous and they suffered severe emotional distress i don't care if you want to call becoming a paragon extreme emotion you know emotional distress becoming a paragon if that's what the kids are calling it these days so be it it's emotional distress <laughs> yeah here's your trial by fire and yeah. good luck kiddo have fun hot, fire hot girl learn it's just like yeah Thanks, Dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, not, yeah, not cool. Uh, <laughs> so we then get into uh, a duty to warn situation. You know, is there a duty to warn other Earths of the impending crisis? And like, well, is there a relationship there? You know, connecting them to the other Earths, and like, if you can, you do anything. <laughs> like, you know, like that's the issue. Yeah. Can you do can you do anything? Uh, in the comic, when you know, like this gets gets super complicated, there is a uh, Alexander Luthor and uh, Lila and Pariah appear at a United Nations. So it's then simulcast at the other UNs, mm -hmm. like trying to get everyone on board to say, like, this is what we got to do to save our worlds. They really, I don't know if they have the ability to communicate to that level. And if it's only going to um, um, like freak people out um, as well. 
So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, um, yeah. I just, I don't think they have a duty because I don't think the relationships there, and I don't think it would make the situation better <laughs> because yeah. it's like. And, and they may have a moral duty to warn, um, but a legal duty, um, you know, the bystander rule or, or quote unquote good Samaritan laws are, mm -hmm. are intricately tied with the duty to rescue. And because that legal duty to rescue is so narrow, um, I don't think either the monitor or pariah really has sort of any obligation outside of you know, kind of a moral, like, is it the right thing to do? Yeah, but like, do they have to? Not really. Um, so, so I think, you know, no, they don't have any sort of legal duty to, to warn anybody. And neither to that matter does, you know, Supergirl um, or any of the, the Earth 38 heroes to rescue uh, the Earth 38 population. They, there's no duty to rescue them as well. What they're doing there is being heroes and, you know, rescuing them, um, not because they have to, but because they want to and because they are pillars of good and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's also bad form just to leave people to die, but that's, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that's, also, that's what makes them heroes. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the issue of, like, you're, you're drafting people to become paragons. Yeah. You know, it's like, does, is that a unilateral contract? And like, because they do have to convince the guy who will eventually become the Adam. It's like, mm -hmm. dude, you, you represent humanity. Yeah. And, and like in his reaction, like, oh, I want to go home and die with my wife. It's like, they, they didn't sell that right. You know, like, yeah, instead, of saying the, instead of saying, hey, it's the end of the world and we need you, because his reaction is like, no, I want to go home. Yeah. Because if we're all going to die, I want to go home. If you're selling it, everyone's going to die unless you help us because yeah. we need you to save the day. That's a better sales pitch. Yeah. Uh, and like, they don't do that. Yeah. Uh, they, they went about, about that pretty wrong. And, and I think what I found interesting was, um, you know, we talked earlier about the heroes being kidnapped or aggressively recruited. Um, whereas, you know, there, there's, there's, a debate as to whether there's free will involved and you know how much free choice do they have um, in in kind of harbinger slash pariah's um, kind of request whereas it seems like this call to be a paragon is is an offer that they have to accept willingly right they because they could have totally um i i don't, I don't know what ryan Choi's character was but you know what his name was but um they could have easily like clunked him over the head, tossed him in, in, you know, wherever their vehicle and, and taken him with them, right? That, that would have been the easy solution to him saying, no, I don't want to do this. Um, but they, they make it a point of Iris convincing him that this is what he has to do. And, and so it really seems like, you know, and you see Kate struggle with, with her call to be, to be a paragon and to finally accept that and what that means. Um, and, and so I think, you know, this is, is more like a contract. It's, it's an offer that they have to come to of um, sound mind and body and free will of their own free will, accept that offer. Um, so it's much more a contract as opposed to the kind of kidnapping slash aggressive recruiting of 
Harbinger and, and, and Pariah. And I think the, you know, the, the Paragons do accept their role because everything's on the line. Yeah. And when they, when they show up to Earth-96, Superman naturally is like, yes. I but of course. Because <laughs> again, he's, Superman's relevant today. And so like, you need help. I'm there. You know, it's yeah. like, that's, that's what we want in the hero. And, you know, being able to go, hey, we need your help. You know, it's like Kate, Kate isn't overly conflicted. It's like, okay, I didn't realize this about me, but it's that you know, part of its hero's journey, uh, but it, it's a little different because when you find out, you know, we're all counting on you and then ask the person to step up, uh, it's, it's different. It's not like finding Excalibur, you know, type of situation going like, hey, look, I'm the king of England now. I, I have the magic sword. It's, we need you mm -hmm. because you're special and people rightfully freak out with like, oh, oh, I have, okay. And like, they, you know, they could say no, they could run away screaming, uh, but that's not, you know, part of a hero is overcoming fear. And um, like just classic, classic political theory is uh, heroic act is doing something that that you know can kill you, and again, that's that's Aristotle, Plato type type view of of being a hero of like you could die, and you're still doing it because you know it's the right thing to go do. And uh, again, it's that facing fear, and and all the paragons are doing that. Uh, Let's get into the issue of defending uh, Harbringer for the murder of the Monitor. And the, the two versions of this, comic versus TV show, are actually similar. The, you know, in the comic, uh, the Harbringer starts like curing the anti-monitors, like, like getting influenced by him. Uh, there's, uh, in the comic, she can duplicate herself. Mm -hmm. And so she, that's how she goes to multiple Earths at once to go recruit people and all different timelines. So she's like everywhere at once for getting, you know, the first dozen whatever people who are going to go save the day in, in issue one. Well, in one of those places, one of the shadow demons like merges into that uh, version of Harbringer. And then when they all are reunified, uh, that's how the anti-monitor gets in. And like she's aware of it and she's fighting it, uh, but it, it's it's kind of like this irresistible impulse that's happening with her. Uh, while in the TV show, it looks more like full-on possession. So the insanity defense would work for like both versions of the character. Mm -hmm but they are different versions of the insanity test uh, that, that could be argued to defend her. Uh, this is, we'll see if they do this, you know, in, in the TV show, but in, in the comic, the monitor knew she was being manipulated and his tuning forks and all the other Earths needed to be powered in order to save the other Earths. So when she, kills him that releases all of his energy to power the the different tuning forks to save earths one and two 
and and then Harbringer herself is the one who pulls in uh, the other three, and in in helping save them. Uh, we don't know if they're going to do something like that uh, with this series. Uh, I would hope so. Um, now we did see when the monitor is killed, uh, Harbringer does get his energy, you know, like it mm -hmm. flows into her. Her. I don't know if that means it's thus flowed into the anti-monitor. Uh, we also know that this version of Earth-1 in the TV show doesn't have a tuning fork on it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where they're going to go, but if they follow the comic, like those two Earths get pulled into this other realm and they're safe, at least temporarily. And which is why I think Earth-1 might still exist it's pulled yeah. out of time. Um, and the issue with the other like six Earths that get wiped out, it's like, okay, I don't know about them. They all could be dead, um, which again is a difference uh, between the two. Uh, so again, I don't know where they're going to go with it. Uh, again, this also happens to be the challenge with like having read the comics when I was a kid and you know, I got them on comiXology again because for some reason my my uh, collection isn't complete. I might have <laughs> borrowed the others from from a buddy in order to like read them all when I was in 1985. Uh, but it's you know, definitely interesting things. You now the, uh, the comic has a fight at the dawn of time and the Spectre plays a key role in fighting the Anti-Monitor at the dawn of time. And the way that it looks in the comic is super cool. They're like it's everything's white and you know, the, the mystical characters are playing a role and there's a lot happening. It would be impossible to do that on a TV show budget. So we know that there's going to be some lens filters that for their dawn of time fight. So we'll see what they do. And if they have Earth's merge after that, so I mean, was... I, I think my 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 thinking is is that um, so so the two shows we have left are um, um, Arrow and Legends, which Legends is going to be a special episode because it's not returning until March, um, and and I think this has really been kind of you know, it's been a year in the making, or you can say it's been longer if, if you kind of count the flash, but this is Arrow's last season, and I think they may have one or two episodes after this to, to cap off the, the series. Um, so I really think making um, Oliver Spectre, um, they're going to, I think, really hone in on a lot of those um, Arrow sets and mm -hmm. um, maybe do an arrow beginning of time as opposed to kind of, um, you know, we've seen obviously Lian Yu be used over and over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> um, but but I, I think they're really gonna do it as, as you know, I, I, to me, it, it was very impactful um, that when, when Spectre comes up to, to Oliver and he says, I, you know, I was, um, a decorated police officer, blah, 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 but I became something else. And, you know, I've, I've watched Arrow since the, like the premiere episode. I've, I've, 
you know, been in and out of it, but I've, I've watched it from the beginning. And, and that's been the consistent thing is I had to become someone else. I had to become something else. And so I really think this is, this whole crisis has led to, um, you know, is going to be more of, more of a Oliver Queen send off. And, and I think they're really going to lean into using the arrow sets and it may, they may be, you know, pulling the kind of thematic threads from the comic and kind of applying that to a closed story for, um, for Oliver Queen and, and, and really applying that because it seems that that's been, been the theme throughout the kind of crisis, you know, his, his death, his resurrection, but that's kind of the background um, kind of movement, if you will, and, and, and the thing that's been powering this. So I'd, I'd be interested to see how they do it, especially given that they seem to have so much respect for the show. Um, you know, not just, not just respect of, of where they came from, as far as, you know, we saw Smallville, we saw, you know, kind of all these types of things. But I think one thing is, it, the Arrow, and, and especially in their, their crossover episodes, is very good at doing. I mean, you have, what, five spinoff series now? You have Flash, Legends, um, Black Lightning, which is not technically a spinoff, um, Batwoman, uh, you're getting the Superman spinoff, you have Supergirl. Um, and and so I think but it all started with Arrow. And so that was, I want to say Arrow premiered in 2008, 2010. That seems... Is, is, there, is this, what, season six or seven for them? Season something? eight, yeah. Season eight, okay. So so I, I think they may have started in, in 2011 or 2012, Um can't remember if I was in high school or I just started college. Um, but regardless, so so I think they have a lot of respect for the impact that Arrow has had on this whole universe that they've built. I mean, it's called the Arrowverse for a reason. Um, so I think they're, you know, we've seen how considerate and how um, kind of deferential they are to where they came from as far as the prior histories, I think they're going to be even more deferential to this kind of send off of Arrow. And I mean, you know, we can debate all day long of how they've really made Oliver Queen more of a Batman character as opposed to, to Oliver Queen slash the Green Arrow. Um, but I think they know the kind of impact this has had. And I think that's where they're going with it. Yeah, the, oh God, well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> uh, like my view is uh arrows earned it like we yeah. wouldn't be here without them without mm -hmm. the reverence that the writers and the creative team uh the actors have had for the characters and, and bringing it to life that you know it, it does deserve kind of the the hero send-off mm -hmm. having oliver become the specter like that wasn't in the comic mm -hmm. and uh, the Spectre does play a big role at the dawn of time and slugging it out with the Anti-Monitor to stop him from, you know, corrupting all of existence so the positive matter universe never even existed. So, like, if they're going for that, like, that, that is a big thing. Uh, the other, the other uh, way that they could end this is uh, the Superman of Earth 2 which technically was the first hero, even though, so all the Earth 2 heroes were first, but they're Earth 2. And that is so weird and always kind of 
bugged me from from like just a naming convention. Uh, <laughs> you know, like he is the classic Superman from you know nineteen thirty eight. Oh, oh my, why am I blanking on that? 38 or 39. Uh, so like that is critically important. And you know, the, the final battle is Superman of Earth 2, who looks like he's in his like late 50s, early 60s, you know, in a death match with the anti-monitor. And in the comic, it is brilliant. It is it's exceptional and it, it's like Superman of Earth 2 going like, okay, it's on me. I'm saving the day. And it's, you know, this giant slug fest and it is beautiful. And there are other characters in play as well. And it, it, it has a beautiful ending uh, with, with how they, they end that. The way that the TV show is structured, I don't know how much of that they could do, but I would love to see you know, Superman of Earth Earth 96 beat the crap out of the monitor uh, because it's just, you know, he's supposed to represent, Mm -hmm. you know, the 1978 Superman, like Mm -hmm. our first superhero on the big screens. Like, I want to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with the way they do fan service, that would be meaningful fan service to to see that. Um, The comic, now this this is weird. Uh, In the comic, as I mentioned, Flash dies. Mm-hmm. Beautiful hero send off. Super, Supergirl died as well. And, and uh, you know, she went toe to toe with the anti monitor and nearly killed him. And, uh, and she did that in order to save Superman and, and ended up dying in the process. And it was, again, great slugfest, excellent battle. So uh, they're not doing that with their two capital characters that they have in the Arrowverse now because no. they're not going to do that. And, um, and we've, we've kind of already done that iconic, that iconic imagery of um, Superman lifting um, Kara's right. kind of broken body. Um, I can't remember what particular episode it was of Supergirl that they they kind of recreated that mm-hmm. um so so I I think we we've we've gotten that and yeah I don't I don't think they're gonna put off their, their two biggest cash cows right now nope nope there, there's a reason why daddy flash went out and uh they're just gonna ignore <laughs> um ignore that and this also with the lineup that they have uh for the paragons uh, Martian Manhunter and uh, Supergirl would be the strongest. Like, Manhunter is like as strong as Superman, and they they really haven't played that up in the TV show. But he, he is also super strong, and um, so they 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 do have a good team, uh, but it's different. And let's just see where they go because um, they. Like if they follow the comics, they would probably need another episode to do it all. So I'm not sure what they're going to do, but we're going to find out very shortly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm calling it now. I think um, that the final battle is going to be um, on the Queen's Gambit with <laughs> Arrow taking down the Antimatter and possibly also. I mean, one of the other the other paragons is is Sarah Lance, who also kind of her journey started there too. So 
So I think that would be great, like internal fan service um, to have it kind of be back on there that kind of reminds us that there was something that happened before this island that we keep coming back to. <laughs> what? So an homage that they could do. So in the comics, it was hinted that Barry turned into the bolt of lightning that hit him in the past in order to give him his superpowers. Mm -hmm. So a spin on that would be Spectre versus Anti-Monitor, and that sinks the Queen's Gambit, landing Oliver on the island to begin with. So, yeah. uh, so again, they totally plausible yeah. and thematically works. Uh, we'll see. You know, mm -hmm. I again, I wish they had more money, but <laughs> this would be a bigger budget than Infinity War to do it right. And yeah. and what they're doing is a beautiful love letter. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how they finish it. And depending on what they do, raises interesting questions on if there's one Earth or if there's a multiverse after this. Because... Um, Stay tuned. We, we can yeah, talk yeah. about that because there's uh, <laughs> the comic raised some big issues with that. So um, stay tuned, everybody. So Gabby, thank you for nerding out over uh, the Arrowverse uh, crisis. And for everyone, uh, stay geeky. Stay geeky, America. <laughs>